So I love the story of this young boy, this young boy who grew up on a small farm just outside the city limits of this small town. And on this particular day, this young boy had gone out, done his normal chores of feeding the livestock and made his way to school. As he's sitting in class an hour or so into class, the door opens and it's a staff member from the school office that's come in and the lady has a note in her hand. She heads over to the teacher, hands the note to the teacher and she goes and stands at the door. At this point, the teacher looks at the note and reads it and kind of a little bit with kind of a shake of her head, kind of a surprise, kind of a little bit of a, almost a giggle. She takes the note and she says, class may have your attention uh, this message is for Andy, the student from this farm, the student in her class. Uh, your dad phoned, and you need to go home right now and close the barn door. That story is a true story, and the person, the young boy, and the dad in the story, the young boy is my older brother, and the father is, is our dad. True story that happened. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Have you ever learned a life lesson only time could teach? Have you ever learned one of those lessons that only time could teach? By time, I mean it could be the duration of time. In this case, for my brother, it was the duration of walking home and coming back about an hour's time to get home and walk home to the farm, close the dumb door, and walk back. For me, it was more of an event of that can only time could teach. In other words, that night at the dinner table, this conversation ensued about what had happened that morning, and a warning, in essence, to me, the younger brother, that somehow, I don't know if I always got, but it was there. You know, as I thought about that, my brother and I learned that day, learned his lesson over time, the course of time. As I said, I learned it over as an event, but we both learned this, we both learned this matter of keeping the barn doors closed was really important to our dad. <laughs> really important to our dad. Similarly, there are matters that are really important to our heavenly dad, to our heavenly father. Uh, matters that he wants us to grasp, matters that he wants us to know, matters that he wants us to learn through lessons he'll teach us. And we are, therefore, are the students. Some lessons will be learned over the course of time. Other lessons will be learned from an event, just like in real life. The primary sources, I thought about that, the primary source for God teaching us, his sources that he'll use to teach us is his word, uh, the Holy Spirit, and faith. Those are the, as I looked at this, I thought about this, what are the primary sources that God will use to teach us over the course of time, short time, long time, his word, Holy Spirit, and faith. That's the primary sources. The secondary sources would be our circumstances. It could be challenges. could be trials that we're going through. It could be others that we have and the experiences that come with that. Well, this morning, we have two students we're going we're gonna to check in with. One of the students, his name is Moses. We've heard of him. We're going through this series in the book of Exodus, God's Way Out. And we're going to look at him as a student this morning because he has some learning to do, as, we, as we'll see. And the secondary person or the second class or second student is you and it's me. We're in, if you will, the class of life. However far along you are in the journey of life, we're all in class together. 
Just like in school, some people are older, some people are younger. Whatever it is, we're all in the class together. Well, for Moses, for him, the class begins at age 40. That's when he begins this new education, this new time of learning that only time could teach. And the duration of his class, (laughs) it'll go on for 40 years. You imagine going to class, the same class, if you will, for 40 years? That's what's going to happen to Moses. And from our central text that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see what Moses learned. They're important lessons for us, for you, for me, for us. The class began, well, let's say at the moment of conversion, that moment, that day, that time when you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Let's pick that time. That the new education, the new journey of learning and knowing God began, and that continues to this day, and and that's going to go on. So whatever age, whatever time that was, that's when that began for you. And the length of class for you and for me, well, that's yet to be determined. It's to be determined by God, it's to be determined by you as we walk, as we go along in the class of life. So this class, it's your life, it's learning and then doing God's will. And we're gonna look at some questions to ask ourselves to see how we're doing. A lot of classes I had usually had a paper due or they had tests, which I don't miss. But in the class of life, God is always gonna have things that he wants us to know, things he's gonna wanna teach us, matters about him that are really important to him like it was to our dad that day on that farm. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 to 25. Exodus chapter 2, and this is a story you might see in your Bible that lists it as the title is, Moses Flees to Midian. That's going to be our classroom setting. So if you got your Bible, now's the time to grab it. If you have a flat screen, whatever you use to, to follow along in God's Word, you're going to want to do this. Open it to Exodus chapter 2. And then what we're going to do is we're going to go through these verses, verse by verse, sometimes a half a verse, but we're just going to break this down. It's almost going to seem and feel like maybe a Bible study than than some guy doing a sermon. But I want to walk us through this class setting that I remind you is 40 years long. I'll show you how we know that. Let's begin in verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. If you were with us last week, we were in Exodus chapters, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Between verse 10 and verse 11, 40 years goes by. That's how this picked up. This is how Moses is writing his story. And how do we know it was 40 years? And how do we know that he was 40 years old? Well, because Scripture is the best way to interpret Scripture. And Acts 7.23 puts it this way. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites, Remember, he was adopted into Pharaoh's household by Pharaoh's Pharaoh's daughter, but he realizes somewhere along the way, the instruction maybe he received up until the time he is weaned by his mother, that you're an Israelite. You're part of God's chosen people. And he wants to go visit them, and that's what's unfolding here as we look at verse 11 as he's age 40. As he sees their burden of oppression from slavery there to the Egyptians, he sees something that alarms him. Look at the rest 
of verse 11. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So he's writing this, reflecting on what had happened. He identifies with the person that's one of his own people. The goal of the beating that's going on here, it is not for the purpose of discipline. Ultimately, it is the purpose for death. Insurrection, whatever it was that this Hebrew had not done, according to the view of this Egyptian uh, slave master, this guy deserved death. And that's what's unfolding here. So what does Moses do? How does he respond? Look at verse 12. Moses, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. (laughs) Did you get that? This is Moses. He looks around and then he murders this Egyptian. So we have a murder and we also, I don't know if you notice, we have a cover-up. He buries the guy's body in the sand, which there's plenty of sand in Egypt. As I thought about that, I thought, so this is Moses, our deliverer. (laughs) This guy, the guy who commits murder, the guy who buries the guy, that's going to be our deliverer. Man, God, you're amazing in who you work with. Uh, What I can see out of this so far is that Moses desires justice. That's a good thing. And Moses seems to desire to uh, defend the oppressed. This is noble. This is good. This is great that he wants to do this. However, his imperiosity, impetuosity, was not good. It, it was actually, it was wrong. And the consequence for this, well, it's going to be 40 years of learning some lessons. Because of this event, what we see and unfold in verse 12, God, as we're going to see through this story and through the life of Moses, he's going to have 40 years of going to class, 40 years of learning lessons only time can teach, and that's going to be his journey. The day after Moses kills this Egyptian, <laughs> he sees another fight going on. This could be interesting. If we have any pattern here, look at verse 13. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? In other words, why are you doing this? What what is going on here that you need to beat this guy? Maybe not to death, but you at least, it's, it's not good. And so all I could figure is apparently Moses is, 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 is almost like the champion, the, the superhero, if you will, for the oppressed and the underdog. He's rooting for the underdog. I forget which team today is the underdog, but Moses seems to be rooting for them. Again, this is noble and good. And if you look back at verse 12, well, it seems if you, as we look at this, well, look what unfolds here in verse 15. So you look at this. This is kind of interesting to me. Well, look back, I should say, at verse uh, 14. Sorry, yeah, let's be 14. So he answered, this is the guy who is in the wrong, right? Verse 14. He, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? <laughs> I, I don't think he was expecting uh, this as the answer. In other words, he gets asked a question to his question that he had put there and it seems to me in verse 12 he didn't look well enough because if he had done this maybe nobody had seen what he had done 
And then what we have to wonder here is, well, what's, gonna, what's he going to do? Continue on verse 14. Then Moses was afraid, and he thought, surely the thing is known. Indeed, you are right, Moses. You get that one right on the test. Okay, so he understands this. But it's worse than that. Look at verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of it, this murder, he sought to kill Moses. Interesting. This is Pharaoh. Remember, he had been in his household, the adopted son of his daughter. And now Moses is under the threat of death under Pharaoh. So what does Moses do? Look back again at verse 15. So Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And Midian's going to play a significant part in his life of these 40 years of where he's going to have a lot of this learning going on. Pharaoh's wrath doesn't seem that it was so much about avenging this or dealing with this matter of, of this Egyptian uh, being killed as much as it was that he discovers that Moses is in essence a friend of the enemy. In other words, he's like an advocate for the sworn enemy of Egypt, which of course is Israel. So this is unfolding. So the Midian, so that it says that he goes to, um, to, the, to the land of Midian and there in verse 15. So what do we know about the Midianites? What was their story? Well, they're a semi-nomadic people. So they've moved around somewhat. And I thought, you know, that's probably a good thing if you're Moses, because you're probably going to be moving around a little bit, right? If you're on the run from Pharaoh, who wants to avenge the death of this Egyptian and take out Moses from doing anything more against Egypt. So as Moses is at this well in Midian getting a drink, we're about to see a superhero, if you will, jump into action and defend and be a champion of the oppressed and the undergod. Look at verses 16 and 17. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and they drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Here comes the superhero. The shepherds came and drove them away. Not good, but Moses, Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. Moses wants justice. Moses wants to defend the underdog. Moses wants to come to their rescue. It's like Moses is going to be a deliverer of sorts, right? So it seems to be within him and how he's wired to do this. Maybe God knows that. Maybe God understands that. I think he does. And so the daughters, it's interesting, as, as this unfolds here, the shepherds are there. There's seven daughters. Believe Moses is an Egyptian. How do we know that? Well, the daughters return home and look at what they say, verses 18 and 19. When they, the daughters, came home to their father, Raul, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us. So he's, Moses is dressed as an Egyptian at this point. Delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. This is Moses and his work that he's done. You know, as I realized as a kid for the short time I lived on a farm, when you have help to get your chores done, they get done faster, right? We traded this off sometimes with my brothers and getting things done. Your day goes faster. And what's interesting is the dad doesn't know about Moses until his daughters tell him, 
right? He, he wasn't there. He doesn't know anything about him. And the father rule, which means friend of God, by the way, is shocked. He's shocked that there's been a stranger who has rescued his daughters. And he's even shocked again that they didn't invite him to come have a meal. Hospitality, cultural, to say thanks, right? And so here's what unfolds uh, with them. It's, it's as though this man is probably thinking, you know what? I've got seven daughters. Maybe this guy would make for a good husband. Go get him. Look at verse 20. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. In other words, come together. And what we read here is that Moses is going to accept the hospitality. He's going to come at this invitation, and he's going to enjoy this Midian family at the home of rule. And what we're going to see is that life goes well for Moses at this point. He doesn't only get to eat well and enjoy some hospitality. He's going to have a wife, and then he's going to have a son. Look at verses 21 and 22. And Moses was content to dwell with a man. That's Raul. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And so for the next 40 years, mind you, 40 years, Moses will assume the lowly role of a shepherd. When you contrast that role to the role that he could have had in the Pharaoh's household, he's come down away in the pay grade, right? To be a shepherd, but that's how rule is, and this is part of God's plan. Because the classroom setting for what God wants to teach Moses is going to have to happen in Midian, not in Pharaoh's household. It's all part of what God's going to do to prepare Moses ultimately to be the deliverer that God has in mind for him to be. It's interesting, as you know, all names have uh, meaning to them, right? For Gesham means stranger. You ever had someone come up to you and say, hey, stranger? Well, in essence, that's what Moses could do to his son. Every time that Moses called his son with that meaning, it was a reminder to Moses, a reminder to his wife, Zipporah, a reminder to all of them that we're strangers in this foreign land. Midian is not really ultimately Moses' home. It's the promised land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the lineage of the Jews. Egypt, the household that he was in growing up as a boy into a man until he was 40, stranger there as well. So he's reminded of this, and it's not on just by accident that he names him, gives him this name. So this is Moses' account regarding the personal journey of the course of 40 years. A few verses, as fast as I could give them to you, 40 years of time. You go, well, that's Moses. What about the Israelites? What was going on with them? I'm so glad you asked that question because Moses wrote this down and what's going on with them. Because there's, there's, there's two million of them, by the way. Pastor Mike told us that a couple weeks ago when he began this series. And they have a journey as well that's now going to last 40 years because of Moses. What's their journey like? What's their story? Well, here's how he wrote it down. During those many days, the 40 years, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. 
And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So for 40 years, they go on groaning and crying and wondering, God, are you going to listen to us? God, are you going to relieve us of this agony, of this oppression, of these slave drivers? Are you going to bring us to the promised land? Because it's been passed down through, through history, through the years, through generations, that there is a promised land, that you promised something good to our great father Abraham. When's that coming? Relieve us, God. So that's their story. And during this time, Thutmose III, that's who the Pharaoh was that brought about this oppression. He, he, he dies. And so when inter, it's interesting, when, 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 when Israel entered Egypt, they did so under Joseph's direction, right, back in Genesis and it was a land to escape a famine in Israel. They're now coming in and they're enjoying good food and they're enjoying good wealth. That was at the beginning. But for some time now, for generations, it's not been good at all. All they've known is oppression and forced labor and bondage. So what does Israel do? They cry out to God for relief. They cry out to God in desperation and most importantly in faith. And as we'll see as the story unfolds in Exodus chapters to come, God is pleased with that, and he responds to them. So there you have it. It's a class setting lasting 40 years for Moses, the students, and these other pupils, if you will, in his class, the Israelites there in Egypt. As I thought about this, like it was for my brother, as it was for me on our farm, we learned that what mattered to our dad. And sometimes those came through severe lessons. It reminds me in junior high, my music teacher, her name was Mrs. Severe. And she definitely had some severe lessons she taught us. So this is a story, the story of Moses' life over 40 years. He learned, he would go on to learn what matters to God, which raises this question, what matters to God? I put it in your notes. Four lessons that Moses learned. First lesson he learned, Moses learned that God gives me a conscience to guide my decisions. This is a lesson I believe that, that, that Moses learned, that this conscience that God's given him, that's given us, matters. It's interesting, you look back in verse 12, it says it looked this way and that way. That's because his conscience was at work there. His conscience, I, I don't know if he looked at his conscience, it, it doesn't seem like he at least listened to it very well, Right? To guide him. And so over the next 40 years in that Midian classroom, I think the value of the conscience and him learning that that matters to God would be a lesson that he had learned over the course of time. It can only be taught over the course of time. What else matters to God? Another lesson that seems, as I looked at this text, that Moses learned, number two, God has a purpose and a plan that is best. God has a purpose and a plan that is best. Exodus 2, 13 to 15 told us that Moses' purpose and plans wasn't God's. In fact, Moses' mind, um, in Moses' mind in Acts 7, 25, tells us that Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. Here's the key. But they did not. You see, Moses thought in his mind, his plan, his purpose, if I take out this Egyptian then people will begin to realize, oh, you're the deliverer. Oh, you're that guy. They did not. He had to learn that God's purpose and plan is best, not Moses's. I don't know if you've been there where you think your plan is best, but then God says, no, I'm going to show you something different. Maybe it's a lesson only time can teach. 
You see, God's purpose and God's plan is what matters most. For 40 years, that's a long time to learn this lesson, but that's how valuable this lesson is, how much this matters to God, and that Moses would have to take 40 years to grasp this, to learn this, that Moses, there's a purpose and a plan that's God's, and that's the one you need to follow. Another lesson, what matters to God that Moses learned? He learned this, God presents opportunities to practice humility. God presents opportunities to practice humility. And to help him with this, it seems that God appointed two teacher aides for Moses. I don't know if you had in class that you were a teacher's aide or had one. But in Acts 7, 26, 28, it affirms this too. The Hebrew man that was in the wrong, you're going to kill me? That seemed to be an aid to help Moses feel a little humility at this point when he's asked this question. Because he's not expecting that, right? He's expecting him to, to have some respect and reverence for Moses. But he doesn't have it there by his question that he asks him. There's a second aid, and I think that's his father-in-law, Raul, that God used him as an aid to teach him, to teach Moses to be a shepherd. It's a humble job. It's a lowly job. It's not one that gets the news coverage. It's going to be the one where Moses is going to have to learn and live out as a shepherd. It's an opportunity. Moses learned to practice humility. Why? Because this matters to God. God wants him to get this. God wants us to know this for ourselves today. Fourth lesson, what matters to God that seems that Moses learned is this. God hears me. God remembers me. God sees me. And God understands me. God hears me. God remembers me. God sees me. God understands me. That's what we saw in Exodus 2, 23 to 25. And Moses is writing this now, reflecting back on that time, lessons he's learned. God's chosen people, that's Israel. God's chosen people, those are the ones who took communion today. It's us. It's his believers in Christ. They matter to God. And that's a timeless truth that we can hold on to, that we can know. Moses understood this truth personally. Moses knew he was put on this earth to be God's deliverer for Israel. God is remembering his people. God's going to do a work. But 40 years of learning about what matters to God, these are some of the lessons, it seems to me, that only time could teach Moses to grasp, to help him understand. Uh, Something in the March household we're doing throughout, uh, throughout 2020 is reading a chapter of Proverbs a day. So we've already covered the 31 chapters this past month, and so we started again yesterday for chapter one of Proverbs. So last night before I went to bed, I went into my son's room, Emerson, and I said, Emerson, did you read? Pro-? Yes, Dad. He already knew what I was going to ask him. And I said to him, I go, I got a question for you. What did you learn? Did you learn something that matters to God? Did you learn something that is of God's will? And he sat there and thought on his bed and looked at the wall. He says, that God likes us to be wise. That God values us, that God values wisdom. I'm like, yes, he got it. Wisdom, it's a good thing. Grab onto that. And I want to know and ask ourselves a question today in our classroom, wherever that is, wherever far along you are in the class, whether it's the lessons that you learn over time or lessons that are learned through an event, here, here's a question I would ask you. Are you learning God's will for your life at this point? Are you learning God's will for your life? 
Here's an opportunity for you to ask some questions. In the few moments I have left, ask yourself this question. Is my conscience aligned with the spirit or the flesh? Is my conscience that God's put there, is it aligned with the spirit or the flesh? Just to stop and think, how's that going in 2020? Some verses to help us understand and get the answer correct. Besides what I might think and want to answer for myself, I let scripture I think scripture is the best way. Galatians 5.16 commands us to walk by the spirit and you will not gratify desires of the flesh. How true that is. Something that Moses could have benefited from. Acts 24.16 says, strive always to keep your conscience clear before God and man. Is your conscience clear today or is it a little foggy? How's that going so far? 1 Corinthians 4.4 informs us that it is the Lord who judges your conscience. Ultimately, he's the one we need to listen to. He's the one we need to seek. See, the conscience is there to help us do the right thing, right? Especially as a child of God, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, as Scripture comes back to our mind. And it's in those moments that, well, that come about that sometimes you go, man, I would have wish, I wish I would have listened to my conscience. For me, I think back to this one particular day in class, my senior year of high school, and this chemistry test we took. And I knew I wasn't doing very well in the class, and I needed to get a good grade. And someone, bless them, whoever they were, had a little sheet of paper that they started passing around the class from the smart kid. And so there was a couple of us that took them, like, okay, okay, great. Pass it along, pass it along, pass it along, pass it along. Test results come in. And the teacher gets up in front. By the way, her name is Mrs. Sargent. How, how I got her, I don't know. Mrs. Severe, Mrs. Sergeant, you get the picture of what kind of people God put in my life to learn from. And she says this, Bill did unbelievably well with a score of 38 out of 40. And then she said it to the same thing to the next kid and to the next kid and the next kid. She should have said it to one other kid, but he was smart enough to change his answers. So he came in with a score of 36. She didn't pick up on that. Like, man, I wish I would have had the conscious work. Wait, that wouldn't have been good. All right, so this idea here, I just share that to think about that. Look, the flesh is going to win some battles, right? But the spirit can win the war. And we want to win the war in the end of the day. Are you learning God's will for your life? Ask yourself, is my conscience aligned with the spirit or the flesh? Here's another question. Are my plans subordinate to his plans? Are my plans, my dreams, my desires, are they subordinate to his? Hebrews eleven twenty four. Moses recognized God's will for his life because it says that he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was subordinate to God's plan. Isaiah 46, 10 says, God's purpose will stand. I will do what I please. Micah 6, 8 tells us that God's plan for life is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That's plans that God has for us. Are we subordinate to do that? Are we submissive to God's plan? God captures it this way in Galatians 5, 25, where he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, these verses really beg us to ask ourselves, are my desires or my dreams in step, in line, in union with God, or does there need to be adjustment made? Another question that would be important to ask are you learning God's will for your life? Ask yourself, am I waiting to serve or be served? Am I wanting to serve or be served? This could have been asked of Moses. 
As I looked at this, I thought about this, Moses could have lived a life of being served. But what we read in Hebrews eleven twenty six is that Moses, quote, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to serve God rather than to be served by man, be served by sin. Jesus says that he came to serve and not to be served. Galatians 5.13 says, Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Serve one another instead out of love. For us as a church, 1 Peter 4.10 commands us to use whatever gift you've received to serve others. Something that we need to be doing as we serve Jesus and serve others around here. Last question to ask yourself, are you learning God's will for your life, is this. Is my dependence really on him? Is my dependence really on him? Again, looking at scripture to help us get the answer more correct or have a better evaluation to know what's truth. Think of it this way. Are you abiding in Jesus alone? Jesus says in John 15, 4, apart from me, you can do nothing. The Israelites came to know that. That's why they called out to God. Where is that for you today? Are you at a point in life? Are you at a circumstance or a situation that only you know that God is the answer and you depend upon him completely? Are you doing that through prayer? Philippians 4, 6 says, in every situation, present your request to God. Israel did for 40 years. Have we learned that? Are we asking that if we're doing God's will? Are you going to God for wisdom? Decisions, challenges, trying to go, God, well, how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to act? What am I supposed to do here? James 1.5 reminds us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should go to and ask God who gives generously and without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's not a maybe, that's a guarantee. The thought about that and just depending upon God, uh, for the last three months, I've come to understand stress in a whole new way in my life. As I look and try and care for my aunt and uncle who raised me from ninth grade on, and they're now in a senior living uh, place, it's been a journey. And through our life groups, they know about that and prayers and the prayer requests they've had. But you see, this has been so stressful and so challenging to try and honor them, to try and do the right thing, to try and care for them because they didn't have kids. I'm, in essence, their kid. It has been such a stressful, such a difficult challenge. And thankfully, I have my father-in-law and my wife and others helping out. (laughs) It's such a challenge. It's like you go, you know what? I have to depend on God. Do you have a circumstance, a situation, a journey that you're going through life and going, there's no other way but only depend on God? Well, that's his will for you. Sometimes it's a lesson that comes the course of time and duration. Other times it's an event. So there's some lessons we've looked at today. Just to ask yourself here today, are you learning God's will for your life? Some questions you can ask. I'll close with this thought. Moses' life lessons are life lessons I think we should learn too. And it's something my family will hear me say regularly. It's this. The sooner, the better. <laughs> the sooner you learn lessons of what God's will is, and rather than a super long time, But to learn those sooner, I think the better your life will be.